Welcome back to the Women Who Roar podcast. I am super excited about today's interview with Kristen Cunningham, or you might know her as the Acne NP. So Kristen is a board certified nurse practitioner and she specializes in root cause treatment of complex acne cases. And she earned her undergraduate degree from Johns Hopkins University and her master's degree from Georgetown University. So she is a wealth of information. Today, we're not talking about acne, though, because at 26 years old, Kristen was a stay-at-home mom of two toddlers and newly pregnant with her third child when her husband decided to end their marriage. She was forced to navigate caring for three small children, going back to school, and restarting a career while healing from trauma. What a badass. And she feels it's important to share her story to encourage others in similar situations that they can overcome difficulties to thrive. I feel like her story is a must-listen to. We covered lots of ground from the role that religion has in shaping relationship and toxic relationships, but how we can stay connected with our spirituality throughout, rebuilding your life from scratch, learning to trust again, modern versus conventional sexual ethics, purity culture and recovering that, recovering from that, and more. Kristen currently works full-time teaching people how to clear their skin through a comprehensive, holistic approach. She lives in Durham, North Carolina with her new husband, Grant, and her three children, 11, 9, 7 years old. And we do talk about how she met Grant and how she healed enough to get married again. So give it a listen. You're going to love it. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to talk about your story. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. It's been such a neat project that you're doing, and so I'm happy to share my experience. Oh, well, thank you. So I originally ran into your story because we were connected on Instagram, and you had shared just a little bit in a really inspiring way that you have been through some tough things, Mm -hmm. but you also grew out of them in a way that was very inspiring. And I was, so I wanted to share that story with others. I'd always felt like you had this light presence about you. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that and I thought, oh, that makes so much sense. So give us a little background and context about your story with, we'll call it toxic relationship for now, but we'll dive into that and pull that apart as it is more, a little bit different for you. Yeah. So I'll give like a, a brief overview for people who don't know anything about my story. So I got married really young. And we had three children qu- fairly quickly, or, you know, in the first six years that we were married. And then when I was, well, I was pregnant with my third child and he very suddenly just said, you know, he was leaving and he left me as a pregnant single mom with no income, no career. I had quit my job just to stay home with the kids. So then I, the part of my healing was navigating how to, you know, get back on my feet, how to care for my children, how to restart my career and how to navigate divorce as a Christian with a lot of people casting judgment or there's a stigma about being a divorcee in the Christian world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of my big passions is just to help other women navigate that in a way and not be stuck in a toxic or abusive relationship just because people might shame them for making the choice to leave or that there's stigma. I know some of my, some girls who've come to me, you know, they're so afraid to make that call because they're afraid of what their friends or their church or their pastor might think of them. And so anyway, that's kind of the brief overview, but I can give you, I think it might be helpful for people to hear a little bit more about kind of when we met and what things like were there red flags and that sort of thing. Is that okay to share? I would love to hear that. Before you do, I will interject that 
I think your story is so good already because it covers so many of the themes that women wrestle with in finding identity and just knowing who they are outside of a relationship. How do we rebuild lives? How do we heal from pain and rejection? How do we make a choice that is safest for us, even when that goes against our community or, you know, spirit, our spirituality? And how do we find peace and all that? So I'm really excited to unpack that. But yes, go ahead. Start at the beginning and take us through your story. Yeah, thank you. So we met in college. So I, we were leading a Christian athlete Bible study together. So I was, I think, 19 or 18 when we met. And then we were part, or at least I was specifically part of something called, or a, a big church movement at the time was called a purity culture, basically. It's basically like waiting till marriage. And the head pastor of our church had written a book. Many people have heard of it called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is like the book about, you know, purity culture and waiting till marriage. And this was the head pastor. He was someone I looked up to. His name is Joshua Harris. He's now like renounced that book, but and his faith, I think. Yes. <laughs> that was yeah, yes. But that was my like defining. I think that book came out when I was maybe 12 or something. And so all of the people that I was around were in that. It was very much courtship and like it was just a big deal to start dating someone because it was like they had to ask your dad. And like anyway, that was the culture I was in. And then I went to college. I went to college at Johns Hopkins. I was an athlete there. And, you know, that was a whole nother world of being an athlete. Like it was like complete opposite, complete debauchery and drunkenness like all the time. And so I had these two like uh, like extremes. And at that time I was leading this Christian athlete Bible study and I met this guy, my ex now, and he just seemed to like, it just seemed to click. Like we just had all the same values. You know, we were both trying to study the Bible. Like our first conversations were so pure in the sense that it was like, oh, what's your favorite worship music or what's your favorite like book you're reading about God. And it was so like pure. And it just seemed like, wow, like this person is exactly like me. And we've met at this place that's very secular and very like, you know, had opposing values in many ways of what we were trying to live for. And then in addition, one of the big interesting aspects of it was his dad was actually a famous pastor who like was a head pastor of a mega church. And a lot of famous people went to this mega church and whenever we were out with his dad, like people would recognize him and like come up to him. It was like a, almost like a celebrity pastor situation. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, oh, he's from quota, a good family. And, you know, we have the same values and it just everything was like what I was looking for. And so because of this purity culture, we didn't, we were friends for a while and then we dated for like four months. We got married about eight months later. So our whole like dating relationship was only about, or like courtship, whatever you want to call it, was right. a year total. <laughs> so yeah. And I was 20 when I got married. So I was 20. He was 23. We're very young. But at first, I mean, I mean, I guess if you're talking about red flags, I didn't see too many at first, except that he struggled with depression. And did you see that back then? Or is this something looking back, you go, maybe that was a red flag? Well, I I did know he was struggling with depression when we were uh, dating. And he but he would phrase it in a way that like he would call it a spiritual depression or like he would always be handling it in a very spiritual way, like journaling all the time and reading his Bible all the time. And that to me was like, oh, well, that's a good way to handle it. Like, that's not like, it's not like you're going out and drinking all the time, but he would definitely like have days where he would not get out of bed or just be very depressed. And so finally he ended up getting on some antidepressants and it seemed to just come out of it. And I was like, okay, well, it's not like a sin or bad to struggle with depression. A lot of people do. And I just figured that was, yeah, that was just what he was going through at that time in life. But I think 
later I, I found out that there was you know pornography involved with that maybe a depression like struggling with that pornography so now i didn't know that at the time until later but um i think that was probably a red flag i didn't know and then there was people in his life who knew about that but they'd never bothered to tell me before we got married that maybe there's something that you should be you know concerned about or maybe you should like go to counseling before you make this lifelong commitment i don't know but that's all at water under the bridge. That was that was kind of like how we got married. And then the first few years were fine. Like, I honestly can say, like, it wasn't toxic. Like, it was just very average at, during our marriage in terms of, like, we had good times, bad times. We were very young. We had small kids. That's a stressful time. We were trying to, he went back to school. And, like, I was supporting him going through back to school. So it was just a lot of, like, moving pieces and a lot of work. But it wasn't toxic in ways that I now recognize, like, a lot of narcissistic abuse type things that right and other people but uh so as time went on his relationship with god and the church slowly started shifting where he would start becoming much more critical of the church and kind of any pastor he would be like nitpicking like pulling everything apart you shouldn't have said this we should have did this and i'm like you know that's not really like why we go to church to like criticize and we just go to church to like learn and anyway so but i like i, I can't i didn't want to I can't change you. I can't force you to do anything. So that's your journey. And I just figured as long as we kept our relationship strong, then I could give him the freedom to like figure out his faith and his perspective, especially with this father who is very like powerful in the Christian community that that I realized later was probably pretty confusing to grow up in like a celebrity Christian family and then be on your own now and trying to figure out like, what is it? What does my faith mean to me? Is it just an identity that I had with my family? You know, so... But yeah, all that to say is that leading up to, if you fast forward, we had a three-year-old, a one-year-old. He was going back to graduate school. So he had just started graduate school and then surprised found out we were pregnant with our third child. And that was not planned, but it was, <laughs> but there it was. And we, he was going back to school. So we were just planning to have like student loans, live on student loans for this couple of years because he had to go to school full time. But within a couple of weeks, he started acting very strange. He would be like, oh, I'm studying He'd be studying to like 11 o'clock night. And then anyway, all these things happened and it turned out that he had started having an affair. And I was like completely shocked because it was like, I remember I had a girl's night with my girlfriends like the month before and they're like, oh, what's going on in your life? Anything new? And I was like, no, everything's great. You know, just like busy with toddlers. Like I, there was like nothing. And then the next week I found out I'm pregnant. The next week I found out my husband's cheating on me. The next week he's like, I don't want to work on this. I want to leave. And so it was like in... A very short period of time, my life was like totally upside down. And I was like, now I'm a pregnant single mom with no income, with no career. I don't have health insurance. I'm, you know, I have to figure out, I was able to get on Medicaid, but everything was just like upside down very, very quickly. And yeah, so from there, we, I just, I had to figure out like, I think that's when I kicked into that fight or flight or survival mode. I think yeah. there's a, a mama bear reflex that really was very strong and it was like, it was just like this roar that came out of me. It was like, I will do anything to survive. And at that point, I didn't know if he would be involved with the children or if I'd be completely on my own. He is involved now and we do have a, a good relationship in terms of co-parent. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I didn't know. He didn't seem very interested in the kids. He wasn't interested in my pregnancy. He didn't want to, like, if the baby was kicking and I was like around him, he'd be like, I don't want to feel the baby kick. Or like, he just was not interested in that. And I I, I just kicked into this mama bear mode where it's like, I have to do whatever it takes to survive. And like, failure is not an option for me. So I just thought, well, well, how can I support my kids? Like, 
I can't do it on a nurse's salary. I was a nurse, a trained nurse, but I wasn't working as a nurse. So right. I was like, well, I'm going to go back to school. And so I applied to a couple of accelerated graduate programs and I ended up getting in to Georgetown and I gave birth to my son. And then six weeks later, I started this accelerated program. And I remember, so I had a three-year-old, a one-year-old and a newborn. And I was like, I remember opening this textbook that was like three inches thick. And I'd be like, I just wanted to close it so badly and be like, I can't do this. You know, there's no way I can get through this giant pathophysiology book. And I just knew like failure is not an option. I told myself like failure is not an option. Like you don't, you have to get through this. And so I just like took one, one week at a time and stayed up late and got up early. And that was really, I was just living on adrenaline. I could tell like I was living on adrenaline, but now I'm trying to heal from all of that. But it's like, you have to do what you have to do. And I didn't know at that time, of course, I was not in the holistic perspective yet. And I probably could have done more things to balance, healthily balance my stress response. But there was, there was a lot of grace for it too. I, that's when I do feel like that God gives you the strength for what you need to do. And of course there's a, there's that big question of like, you know, a lot of the wrestling through that. I was like, hey, God, I was I was trying to follow you and do the right thing and like, you know, marry the Christian guy. And why, you know, like, why did this happen to me? Or why did that, you know, it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, it's just anyway, it was a lot of questions like that. And I think that's ultimately the question that every every person of faith needs to figure or wrestle with is why do you bad things happen? And, and how do we reconcile that, that with our belief that God is good? And yeah. that is a question that I feel like I came to peace with in the terms of just I had to stand on the rock of knowing that God was sovereign and that he would work all things to the good. And for me, that was just like, I didn't know how it would work out for good, but I knew that it it would had to some way. And the first most obvious way was that I had a lot of compassion. I started, I had a lot of compassion for single moms specifically, like when I gave birth to my son, my ex was on a Tinder date with somebody else. And I knew he was, and I had to, like, he was supposed to come watch my other kids so I could give birth. But like, he was late and I'm just, but just that feeling of being vulnerable. And like, when I brought my son home from the hospital, I was like, I think I was really, really overtired and hormones. And like, that was probably the, just the bottom of like, just feeling rock bottom and just so much despair. But it built in me so much compassion for you know, single moms all over the world who are trying to to do this brave thing of bringing a life into the world on their own. And that's really, it's really hard. <laughs> and I had just a lot of compassion for that. And then also like just women reaching out to me as well when they go through hard times and it's like, okay, that at least they don't feel alone. That's just like a good thing that's come out from it. And then obviously I was being pushed, like people don't change unless they're in enough pain, basically. And so all that pain pushed me to become like explore all these different parts of myself in my career and showing up in more public ways. I was always a very private person. And even doing things like this, it's just pushed me to to use my voice and show up in the world in a way that I wouldn't have before. So there's just a lot of good. And then obviously God's redeemed my relationship. I'm remarried now and all that. But I think there's always, I, I just, my kind of way of coping with suffering and pain is just to always think what what good can come out of this and there's always something even like with health struggles or people who are trying to heal it always teaches us something and and we wouldn't have been forced to go to that next level unless we go through that struggle of like trying to figure out how to heal and then when you do heal you can always be a, a hand to pull people up when they're trying to heal and so yeah that's kind of what I had to to turn to in order to to make it through and not just feel sorry for myself. The other thing is like, whenever I would 
kind of get stuck in a pity party. I like would go to church and have my three little kids and I would feel like such a hot mess because I would be like dragging these little kids and I would be alone and just knowing all the drama and all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And I would see all these. Did your your husband's church still that you were going to? No, 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 no. Okay, okay. no, <laughs> different church. <laughs> and you'd see all these cute little like families who look all put together at church, and you just feel like so broken and like just like I don't know, like an alien in this place that's like so you know put together. I really love that you said t- talking about finding a voice and taking space in the world because I really that is my mission behind the physical healing work that I do, why I'm doing this project, why I wrote a book is I really want women to take up space in the world and have a voice in the world in a healthy way. And I think that's something that's really missing in our culture. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I'm sharing my story and these stories is because I think that grief and trauma and life going different than expected has a way of kind of pulling you apart and then rebuilding you in this different way, in this stronger way. I really love that. But I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit and get into some of the weeds about young marriage, purity culture, church, and relationships, because this actually, this was not planned, but this is happening to be a theme of a lot of the interviews I've been doing, is a lot of the relationships start with somebody who really, I would say, probably seems safe to young women because they have some type of religious appearance or activity and or community and all of that makes women think oh this is safe and i think you know there's there's these two sides of faith that you mentioned one is this i think the more spiritual side which is really beautiful values like compassion and forgiveness and being able to come as you are and then there's this other side that i consider more religious but other people might look at it differently is more you have to look a certain way you have to live your life a certain way you have to be put together you can't be outwardly struggling with depression you have to have all the answers all the time and what i've noticed is a lot of times controlling people or people who are struggling you know maybe with an addiction or something on a deeper level that's a really unhealthy behavior religion is a way that they can present themselves to the world as acceptable or religion is a tool that they use to gain control over people who are more susceptible. So what are your thoughts on that given your experience? Oh, yes, I absolutely agree. And I think I see that repeated a lot where I think there's a lot of personality types who see that they can use like a spiritual abuse, I guess you could call it. And I did see that in certain people who are like, like even counselors, you know, it would be like there would be counselors or Christian counselors who would want to help you if you were trying to fix your marriage, but they wouldn't help you if you felt like you needed to end the marriage. And that's a whole nother thing I haven't gone into is like, how did I know it was, you know, because he would come back. So for initially he left and then he kept coming back every few months. Hey, I want to get back together. And then it's like, how do you navigate that? Because a lot of people would tell me, oh, if he wants to come back, you have to forgive him. And, and that's the Christian thing to do. And I had a really wonderful counselor who like literally saved my life. She just was just very gave me so much clarity of thought and she's like you know trust trust is earned and not given and you do not need to for like you're commanded to forgive but you're not commanded to necessarily reconcile with him so yeah you know that is something that yeah it was just so yeah but I, I I totally agree that the spiritual abuse is very strong and it depends on which which kind of circles or cultures you're in I think there's been a lot of enlightenment in terms of people exposing that way of thinking and that control but I think it still probably exists and also 
just also the peer pressure, even the pressure you put on yourself as someone who might not get out of a toxic relationship because of what people might think of you or, yeah, just not wanting. Also, it's a lot of broken relationships in terms of your friends that you've had together. That's also a whole nother yeah. thing. But yeah, that's really, I really want Christian women to know that like, even though the Bible is clear about divorce, I think that God put that in there to protect women because back in the old days, if women were divorced, a lot of times they were in a very like destitute situation, meaning they would might have been forced into prostitution or just very impoverished and impoverished because they didn't have the cultural means to earn a living on their own. Mm-hmm. And that was really a protection for them, not to just be at the mercy of a man like divorcing them whenever they wanted. Now, I think that our culture is different. And that's something that I constantly like think, thought about was that in our culture, like I felt so lucky. I'm like, at least I'm in, you know, the United States and I can find a career as a woman. Like I'm in such a better place than many women throughout time and in, in other parts of the world. So that perspective shift, whenever I would feel sorry for myself and just like, comparing myself to my friends who had these perfect families and I felt so broken, if I just shifted my perspective and thought, hey, I am a, a, I'm one of the most powerful positions a woman can be in in the history of the world in terms of I can go to school, I can take, you know, provide for myself and my kids and God is protecting or God gives me the freedom to get myself out of this toxic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that he wants for his daughters is to protect them and not have them forced to be living in abuse of any sort. Uh, and that's a different, so it's just a different scenario in our modern times. And so I think a lot of women are guilted into staying into very abusive situations because of what, quote, the Bible says, when I think God intended the Bible, that verse is in the Bible to be a protection for women and, and protecting his daughters from perhaps being forced into prostitution or other impoverished situations. So that's kind of like how I think of that. But that was a little tangent as well. Well, I love that because there's this, I use this term called God lighting when abusive people use God to keep you chained to abusive behaviors or unhealthy situations. And, you know, I think it's really amazing that you even know the verse in the Bible that talks about that, because I think most people in church don't even know why they think divorce is wrong. They just know that this is something church believes. And, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says God hates divorce. And people think that means God hates divorce people. But I personally believe that God hates when divorce happens because he hates how it hurts people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's another verse in the Bible where it says God has allowed divorce when pe- certain people's hearts are hard. And I think when you get to a point where you are in an unhealthy situation, and I think I think the traditional religious belief is that it has to be physical abuse or infidelity. I actually think that there's more room, and this is my personal conviction, I'm not a theology teacher, yeah. but my personal conviction is that, you know, there are certain points when one person is becoming healthy and another person is unwilling to change from a toxic behavior or just an unhealthy dynamic that is harming the other person Mm -hmm. i do not believe that god god doesn't want you to get into a healthier place i think god always wants us to be growing in a healthier way so i think you know it hurts god what divorce does to families and children but i think sometimes people think they're ruining their lives if they're getting divorced and i mean your story is the perfect example that they're not God will. God wants to bring healing to any situation, and sometimes exit is healing. 
On that note, I am curious how you think pornography impacted the marriage. This is something I've heard from clients and um, actually clients with who have some type of faith. They feel like they can't leave their husband if the only offense is that he's looking at pornography. And with mm-hmm. that, I found there's a lot of times unrealistic sexual expectations that really burn women out in physical ways. Mm-hmm. It's almost an emotional abuse that and that has physical manifestations and damages women physically. Mm-hmm. And But women feel like they can't leave because I think pornography is a form of cheating when someone's addicted to it, doing it in a marriage regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you know, there's more and more data coming out actually about how pornography is damaging in general that Daniels do exist. So how did that impact your marriage? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I don't, I, when I first found out, I so when we're talking, this is back in like 2000s, early 2000s. So yeah. back then it was, internet pornography was like a newer thing. It was not as rampant as I guess it is today. So I didn't really, know, it wasn't like talked about all the time. Right. And I, think and I even, feel like for a while it became normal. Like everybody looks at pornography mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah. And that was, I think there was an expectation. I guess, I guess, I, I guess like dating, dating, I didn't know that it was like something that he struggled with. And when he did tell me this was after we were married, actually it was on our honeymoon. He told me I was really devastated because I just didn't, I didn't know. And that totally like changed my view of like, I thought you were this kind of person and now I know this and like, why didn't you tell me? And then he very much was like, it's not a big deal. Every guy struggles with it. Like it was just very much brush on the rug. And then if I would ask him about it later, he'd be like, it's not your job to, you know, police me or something. Mm -hmm. And so I just basically let it go. And I assumed, well, if I'm not finding anything on the computer or wherever, then I'm assuming it's not a problem because he basically made me feel like, I don't know how, like belittled me for even being upset by it because it's like every guy does it, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of let it go. And I just was like, I guess don't ask, don't tell. I don't know. I, I So I honestly, to this day, I don't know how much it continued because we were married for six years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much or little, I'm sure it probably did at some point. I think the intersection, I think it probably, how it ended up that he started infidelity was there was a girl at his work who basically was like, I don't want to break up your marriage. I just want to sleep with you. And so she was just kind of like, and she was in a committed, like she was almost engaged to someone else. And so she was, I don't know, she did. They just started like, and I guess he, she wore him down. That was what this, I, my understanding was. And eventually he gave into her and then that turned into, it was like a flip or a switch flipped. And it was just like, he went off the deep end into, you know, multiple, like, like t- on Tinder all the time and just with multiple, multiple women. So yeah, I am sure that there is a thread with the the changes that happen in a, in a young boy's brain. I think his pornography started very young and it was probably like just poor coping, trying to cope with trauma and different things that happened in his childhood that he just wasn't didn't have the guidance. And now I think we have a lot more awareness about how trauma impacts our developing brain. But I'm sure there was there was pornography was in there and in changing or damaging. I don't know. I don't know the exact science. Do you but think that it made him more open to an affair? It's possible. I really don't know. I feel like he honestly went through an identity crisis around that time because he just really did like a 180 on who he was and he didn't seem to care of that. Like he never seemed remorseful. And and then that's the other thing. As soon as I, ca- I caught him or I you know caught the text messages and things like that, it was it was more like a he mad guy. He's mad he got caught, not mad that, or not upset that he was committing adultery, right? And 
I think, I just think he went through a identity crisis and like totally went at 180. And I don't, that's the way I can understand it now. And that's just, yeah. <laughs> why, why do you think he waited until your honeymoon to tell you? Why do you think he, that's just such an interesting time to choose. Why do you think he chose that time to tell you about his struggle? I have no idea. I think it came up something. I think I maybe asked him about it. Like, oh, have you ever watched porn or something? I, I don't know why I asked him about it, but then he decided that was the time to tell me. I remember we were in Italy on our honeymoon and I was like, it was just, I was really depressed for a while. Like it's, it's yeah. easy now to just, it's so long ago, but it was really hard. And then to feel like I was being overly sensitive or like, it was weird of me to be upset by it. That was, he, yeah, that was not validating either. That's a very toxic relationship move. It really reminds me of my toxic relationship that I write about in my book. Here's this behavior that I think is going to be damaging to our relationship and our future family. And the response is every guy does it and you, it's not a big deal. You're being too sensitive. You know, it's that it's that gaslighting you. It's, mm -hmm. You're the problem with this, not the actual blaringly unhealthy problem. I think, you know, one thing from my observation with porn and just clients that I've worked with, seeing how porn has impacted their relationships, I feel oftentimes porn is a tool for men who have some type of trauma that they are, that emotions feel unsafe to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of goes with religious performance is a way to feel like the world is okay without actually being an authentic person. And then that burns out after a while. So then we move to pornography because... I can feel connected. A lot of times these people are very charismatic because they want to feel connected without doing the work of connecting at a deep level. And then, you know, that's, of course, not as satisfying for most people as an actual, you know, skin and bones sexual encounter. And so then we we try having an affair with somebody who just wants to sleep with us because, again, we're getting this temporary sense of connection without doing the work of actual relationship. And I think the hard thing is I have a lot of compassion for the wounds behind that. There's usually a very deep core wound of a mm -hmm. caretaker abandoned mm -hmm. me. But the problem is a lot of times they jump from coping mechanism to coping mechanism to coping mechanism. And the work that would allow that compassion to fuel relational connection and reconciliation never is done on that mm -hmm. side of the relationship. So those are my thoughts. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting I think as I've explored more and more about the traumas and the wounds, I think you're right about so his and and yeah, to say this to be like like compassionate, like you're saying, like his little sister, when he was seven, his little sister was born and she had extremely she's extremely disabled and medically complex. And so all from seven years old to like basically high school, he was just kind of on the back burner and like like he's not in the hospital dying, but his sister is so all his parents' attention was just like on his sister and he would never blame her, but I think that there was just some emotional connection or void that he missed out in those really formative years that yeah. really were like caused trauma. And I can see that in his other siblings as well. And it's just so sad that that's the the reality. But I don't think that anyone in that he wasn't able to heal. He wasn't able to heal or recognize it. I think it was just, okay, here's an antidepressant. Here's, you right. know, and then there's like self-medicating with the pornography. And then, and then you get to, I think he was 29 when this all happened. So he went through this, you know, secondary identity crisis or whatever. Yeah. I right. think you're absolutely right, though. The caretaker. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on young marriage now? Because I feel like sometimes young marriage really works, but I've also seen it be 
people this happened to me i didn't i didn't get married but i almost did and i the person that i almost married i met at 18 and a lot of times i find that people who are getting into young marriages it's like a really charming but toxic personality mm -hmm. is kind of sweeping the naive person off their feet but it's not always that way i'm biased a little bit negatively because of my experience but i'm curious what you think about it now i've been through what you went through yeah i think for some people it can work out and i certainly like all my friends got married around the same time and they're all doing well i mean they've all had things they had to work through but everybody does even in, when you get married older so i wouldn't do it again and also i've heard that you know, mental health and different things, issues kind of develop around 25 years old. And so I remember my counselor saying like, she's like, that's why I advise people to wait till after 25, because then you can kind of see some of these mental health issues come up prior, prior to making a decision to get married. But yeah, for my kids, I will probably, I will tell them to wait, but it's at least a little bit older or at least really get to know somebody really well. And really, I think also I'm a lot wiser and I think everyone well i know things like uh, deeper things to look for in relationships that maybe back then it wasn't talked about as much i mean this was i don't know 15 15 20 years ago now not 15 yeah 15 years ago and so i just feel like the world has expanded a lot more in terms of what's the education that's available to us on social media and youtube like all those things that really exploded in the last 10 20 years and so we can access like the world's best teachers at a drop of our hat and that's like so amazing that we can be empowered with that education but yeah i guess i'm not completely opposed to it but i definitely i wouldn't encourage my kids to get married very young but yeah. for some people what, it does work out what about your thoughts on purity culture because i feel like this is a big topic it's like a lot of kind of 80s 90s babies around the time that they were dating purity culture was a big thing and you know i know we're talking from a really christian perspective but i think Christian ethics have a way of influencing our society very heavily. People who don't consider themselves as having any faith still feel shame about divorce. They still feel shame oftentimes about, you know, certain types of sexual behaviors. And I think that's really damaging, actually, because there's like this little seed of faith morality disconnected from the larger context from you know, kind of what you were describing earlier from divorce, from a relationship with somebody who loves you. And and then it gets, it's like that game of telephone, you know, where one person tells the next person tells the next person. And by the time it's influencing culture, it is this kind of shame-based morality that I don't think is what God is about. That being said, I, I do think that God has a moral code that, he, you know, that helps protect us. And so I think, you know, people's bones with purity culture is that they felt like they wanted to have sex. So they got married very quickly so they could feel like they were having approved sex. And a lot of people felt like they married the wrong person because of that. Or, you know, they got married too young because of that. And I think that there's truth to that. And at the same time, I do think, you know, I've talked about conscious sex a little bit on my stories and things like that. I've shared some you know, podcasts from different PhDs and things who talk about sexual ethics of our culture. And I think there is something to be said for recognizing that sex is more than a physical experience mm -hmm. and uh, thinking about the way that it impacts our families and our communities and having some type of sexual ethics that protects our hearts and relationship. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think what I'm saying is I think that some boundaries around sex are healthy. And but I think with purity culture, kind of all boundaries, there's been this rebellion against it, which is good to rebel against convention sometimes. 
but I think some, I don't know if I'm totally with where it landed. So what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> I love, I love all your thoughts on that. I think I haven't decided yet how I will talk to my kids about their relationships. They're just in middle school right now. So they have well, some time before like, you know, I don't really, know what nowadays, middle nowadays, school. but <laughs> well, my oldest, yeah, she's 11. So hopefully, okay. Over years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the purity culture, it was very much like this idea that if you had sex, you were like dirty, or let's say you had sex with someone you and didn't end up marrying. It was just like this whole big deal around it. And looking back, that is one thing, like we did get married pretty quickly because of that, because we didn't want to wait years and years. And it's hard. I mean, you're 20 years old. It's like, right. you know, you don't, it's just not realistic to be waiting that long. But at the same time, I would have done anything if I would have, if someone had told me like, look, if you end up having sex before you're married and then you find out that's not the right person and maybe you waited a little longer, like I really wish that someone had had that conversation with me. It's like, it's not going to kill you. Like, and that's probably what I'll have with my kids. Be like, it's not going to be the end of the world if you end up having sex with someone and then it's not the person you're going to marry. Yeah. Like that's not the end of the world, but it is a big, big deal if you marry someone who ends up being very toxic or cheats on you, leaves you and has this crazy, you know, that's that it has much bigger ramifications, not only for yourself, but for any children that are from that relationship. And so I, I don't like that, that idea of being like used goods or just dirty. If, if you're not that whole, that was the whole idea that was, it wasn't, it was sometimes it's explicitly said, but sometimes it was just more subtle and like the judgment around it. So a lot of people in our church, like didn't kiss until altar, like it was yeah. that extreme. And so yeah, I think you're really great. Your thoughts are really well developed about, you know, not not going to either extreme and then trying to understand. I think it's a kind of a mystery that it's really, it's not easy to define how to walk that out. But getting married super young is not always, a, it's not a good idea either. Yeah. Just to, just to like avoid that, you know, just to stay I, pure. Whatever. Well, and I think there's two sides of the coin because I think on the one side, you have people who are, maybe getting married just so they can have sex and that's hard because a lot of times people who are toxic and unhealthy for the first seven months to a year are super charming and they're super mm -hmm. romantic and you're just so wrapped up in them and all you want to do is jump their boats you know yeah. and that accelerates you into a marriage that is actually not going to be healthy long term and then you have the other side of things which is I think you know sex is very bonding and if you're having that with somebody who's toxic Sometimes that can make it harder to get out of a toxic relationship yeah. because there's this really deep emotional bonding there. Yes. So I think it's just good to have discussions like these to open, you know, to open the conversation about it because there really hasn't been a lot of conversation about it. It's really a battle between like modern 60, 70 sexuality mm -hmm. and like church sexuality. And there's no conversation in between about, well, are we talking about how sexuality impacts people's hearts and relationships? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I was listening to this panel the other day called Toxic Femininity, and it was a discussion basically about how we're in our culture reinventing or reforming the sexual ideas that came through the 60s and 70s. And from it was not from any type of faith perspective. All the mm -hmm. women on the panel were strictly academic. And, you know, there was one woman on the panel arguing for, she was actually arguing for the traditional ethic of sex being in the context of marriage because she felt like that protected women. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was another woman who was arguing for kind of just figuring out what do women want. 
And I, I think what I was hearing in that is women have had to hold, I, I do think there, you know, there's consequences of every sexual encounter you have, good ones and sometimes harmful ones. Mm-hmm. And I think women have always had to hold the bag for all of the consequences. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if culture is saying this is not how, you know, this is not beneficial to you to have sex in this context, it's the woman's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's infidelity going on, somehow it's the woman's fault. It's always mm-hmm. the woman's fault. And I think, you know, women want to be able to have a libido without feeling shamed for it. Mm-hmm. And that has taken us on this thread of, that has landed us at our modern sexual ethics, which I know is not what this interview is about, but it's, uh, I oh, went it's on a rabbit trail. It's an interesting conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very interesting. And I'm glad that there are people having that conversation. I do think I will like I will say that after I got divorced, I was like, okay, I didn't date at all before I did this yeah. like courtship thing. I was like, I'm going to go date. So I went on some Bumble dates. And I didn't like sleep around, but there was, I could see how that bonding of like with people, I had another, I had a relationship with someone who I had known since high school and we started dating again around this time anyway. And it was like, it was not the right person for me. He was, had his own things, but at the same time, I felt that other side of it where it's like, okay, I can see why like our parents, my parents' generation was part of like the hippie generation they did this backlash to their culture and mm-hmm. swung around to like the purity culture because of all the pain and things maybe that they carried from those relationships and those sexual encounters. Like I can see it both ways. Like there's the right. can, So that's yeah. why it's I don't necessarily blame either side for their thoughts on it. But I, I don't have an answer to like what right. is the perfect way to think about it. I haven't fully I wrestled with this, but I haven't fully come to a an idea of what I will, how I will guide my kids. I think it'll probably just be, I think it's a gray area for everybody in terms of it's not black and white. Like people want you to think about it. It's just like, you have to figure out each relationship. You know, some people I've heard say the more commitment in a relationship, the the physicality of relationship should match the commitment level. So as you get closer and closer to an engagement or marriage, then that opens the way for more physical intimacy. But that's probably the best explanation I've heard of it. But yeah, I I think it's a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think thinking you have all the answers is dangerous. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's good. That's why we have conversations like these. I like to in, unpack the infidelity a little bit more. Are you? So you said it kind of was very abrupt, and that's one of the reasons I've been trying to do some infidelity interviews in this series because mm-hmm. you know the, it's not always toxic, so to speak. Like as you mentioned, the relationship leading up to it's not always toxic. But there is that same sort of betrayal with infidelity as in toxic relationships when all of a sudden you're kind of shell-shocked. Who am I with? It's not the person that I felt like I was originally with. And then you have to rebuild from there. So, you know, were like, what were the some of the erratic behaviors leading up? When did they start? Yeah. Kind of what were you queuing in on that could have suggested some infidelity? What were, you know, some of the little indications maybe that you know that that was going on what were some of the behaviors that started surfacing that other women might relate to if they're suspecting they have a cheating partner okay very good yeah so he so it's funny because he never was like so i guess there was a little bit of, you mentioned with the pornography i i was like oh yeah that is a little bit of gaslighting that he was doing back then but it wasn't a regular part of it then did start cheating he wasn't very good about hiding it he'd be like oh i'm gonna be studying and then i I had, since we were married, we had the same like iPhone, Apple ID back then. 
And I could see him on like find a friend. I'd be like, you're in an apartment somewhere, not at the library. And like, I, I was very sneaky. I was also, in, I was eight weeks pregnant and I had such bad insomnia that I would like in the middle of the night, just be sitting up thinking and like rehashing these weird things. So, so he started actually like picking on me and being mean to me after he started cheating. So he would say things like, like, you're such a difficult wife because like, if you keep acting this way, I'm going to cheat on you. And he was already cheating on me. As trying to justify it to you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or like, you never like treat me the right way. And then like, it, it was just, he started being mean and like, honestly, he would pick on me for things like, like I had this natural household cleaner and it's not like vinegar because it was like a natural one. Yeah. So yeah. You always use these like vinegar cleaners. Why can't you just Windex like a normal person? Or like we got like raw milk from the farm. And he's like, why do you have to be so weird? I don't know. It's just like he was like started picking. So I was like, okay, and was I have to get for it. Like really out of the blue, he had, hadn't picked on you before. No, like it was it was I think it started escalating a little bit around the time that this girl started. I don't know what coming on to him at work because yeah. he started acting a little bit more withdrawn for me. But it was definitely in a short time frame where it was like and then it was probably over a month or not even. And then I had a babysitter who would come like once or twice and he started texting the babysitter like, how are the kids instead of like me? Like I, I was there. She would only come for a couple yeah. hours. I'm like, why are you texting the babysitter about how the kids are doing and not me? Like, that was a weird thing. He, like, wanted to avoid me. And then what other things? I, I think it's just more like he started being more mean to me after. And I think that was all about him, yeah, needing to justify in his mind. And also his story that he would be telling his family about that. I uh, felt this and that. And, like, it, <laughs> when I first called his like when I, so when I first found out, I was in complete shock. I was just like, I don't know what to do. And so the first thing I did was to call his dad because I knew I'm like, he's a pastor. He probably knows what I should do because I didn't know what to do. And then the first thing his dad says to me is like, well, why did, what did you do to make him want to cheat on you? And he's like, what, what's his beef with you is what he said to oh, me. This is such that like classical religious community response is like, this is why there's that sexual pushback we were talking about. It's always the woman's fault. The man cannot take responsibility for something that's intrinsically wrong. Somehow the woman makes you do something wrong, which I think maybe comes back to a misinterpretation of the creation story. But anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Back to your, and back to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's interesting. And, I, and then his mom started sending these emails about like, like having more sex with him or something like you should have more sex with him. And that's why you know, need men need sex. I'm like, I'm pregnant with like with our third child. Like I had had a bunch of miscarriages too. So I had like six pregnancies in a few years. Like obviously that's not, that was not a thing like as far as like not having enough into Right. But right. yeah, I, I think, it, I think also as that's what I find the common thing. It's really hard for parents like of the first community adultery. They have a really hard time. It's like an identity attack on themselves as parents to kind of to wrap their minds around it so that was another hard thing so now i have this pastor who's powerful and you know now he's like against me and i'm like i didn't do anything wrong and like i didn't i don't know it was just a complicated few years but you know they're they're the grandparents of my kids and we're on a, we're in a good place now in terms of like we don't i don't i don't hold anything against anyone it's just i want it's very much like the kids are everything is about them and if we can all like love them and that's 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 what I want you know so yeah and so how did you well actually when you was it these picking behaviors that inspired you to check on him because I feel like 
that's even maybe something a little bit unusual in some relationships is to be kind of checking on where your husband is, at least in earlier days before a location was just blasted on your Apple Watch or, you know. Yeah, I can't remember exactly why. I just remember that he was being withdrawn and, and kind of picking on me and just not himself. And then he started, yeah, I think that was the thing. He started texting the babysitter about like kid updates on the kids. And I was like, at first I was like, are you sleeping with the babysitter? And because right. I was like, right. why? And he was like, no, and he wasn't. But yeah. And so I don't know. I guess I, I only, I think it was God because like I was living there insomnia. I downloaded this app on his phone in the middle of the night. And then I was able to track where he was going. And that was honestly like maybe illegal, but it was like a lifesaver because I now could tell his truth from his lies because that started a year and a half of him being like, I want to get back together. And then I could see on his phone that he was at a, like a strange apartment. You didn't know you were still tracking? No, him. he didn't. Wow. Okay. For a long time. Okay. And that was probably not, but it honestly saved my life because I was able to see probably been vulnerable to his wanting to come back so many times if I didn't know, like literally there was one time like he was, I guess, addicted to Tinder. So I made a fake dating profile and I matched with him. And so literally I'm texting him as this fake person being like, let's meet. And then he's texting me. He, so he's texting this fake person and me at the same time. I want to get back together. And like seriously. And so then I called him out on it. I was like, look, you're texting this girl trying to hook up with her tonight. And then you're also texting me. And he thought it was so funny. He's like, I can't believe you did that. That's so funny. I was like, I'm like, kid, this does not, does that make sense that you're, you're being so, like, he was just so much lies at that point. But it, it honestly just saved me because I was able to know what he was doing and not not get caught back into it without him knowing that he was just so. Why do you think he said he was wanting to get back together with you so many times? Do you think it was a control issue? Do you think it was, he was trying to appease his guilt? Was it about how he appeared in church community? Why do you think that was? I think that he would go through seasons of feeling sorry for himself. I don't think he never really showed a lot of remorse, but I think he would feel sorry for himself that he gave up, you know, wife and kids and that yeah. he didn't really have. He's still not married or in a relationship, been eight years. I think he kind of, I think with his mindset, he's more focused on himself. And so it was always about like what made him feel good and like, well, or maybe he'd go through like a spell where he wasn't getting any action or whatever on these Tinder things. I don't know. And then like when we finally, it was probably a year after we separated. That's when I started dating someone, just hanging out with them. And he got super, super jealous. And he was like really upset. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. Da, da, da. And I'm like, you've probably slept with 20 women by now. And I'm like, just going out with somebody. So I think, I think it was probably, I mean, I don't know. I, I think yeah. it just, it would, it would happen every three months. And then in between he would just be totally ignoring me and being mean to me. So it was like the cyclical thing. It is that addiction behavior, though. You know, it's like the addiction circuit is going. And so there's probably this part of him that feels like he can't stop serial dating women. Mm. And then this reach back into normalcy, but without a willingness to really do the hard work of breaking the addiction so that you can really inhabit normalcy. So that's interesting. And yeah, I'll just add on to that. I So some people, like, so a lot of women who reach out to me, they're in the middle of this process of, do I do I get divorced? Like, it's so much easier to try to work. I mean, they say it's easier to work out, but I don't even know if it's easier to try to work it out or heal from infidelity or I don't know. I think that's individual for sure. But yeah, yeah. But anyway, so 
the last time we were had already been divorced and the last time he was like i i want to get back together even though we were already divorced and for some reason i was just like well i'll pray about it i remember it was easter weekend and i was just like i'm gonna pray about it over the weekend and i just prayed so hard i was like lord help me to know if he's different or not help me to see because he was at that point he had kind of come out of like the spiral and he was more like normal like on level ground at that point and we hadn't gotten more stable with like the kids it was just like a better place for us and so i was like you know what i'll just pray about it and then i'll see and i'll talk to you on monday because we were like exchanging the kids or whatever and that's the hard thing when you have kids you have to see you time which is 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 tricky honestly that same night he went and slept with someone on tinder and he had the goodness to tell me he was like you know i'm sorry like this is what i did and i was just like thank you like thank you so much and i was like praising god because i was like god just completely made it so clear to me that he's not changed and that i can move on with my life and not even like think back on or like you know with kids there's always this guilt of like should i have tried harder or something for the kids sake but it was so much peace that god gave me like everything that i was in the right place and just like to move on with my life and so anyway that was like just the, the last you know. sometimes those things are gifts so how did you find out that he was cheating i so i had downloaded that tracking app and yeah i had downloaded the tracking app and i also downloaded a bit sent text messages send me a transcript of text messages basically and i believe yeah how i found out was i found his car at this random he said he was going to go to school and study or whatever and he, i found his car was at this random apartment and i drove by the apartment and i had my kids in the car and i remember just like it all hit me right then i'm like he's at an, a random apartment in the middle of the day like he is probably sleeping with someone at the same time i had I looked up the text messages and I found explicit text messages of like explicit things that they had done. Mm -hmm. And I just knew. And I remember calling him. Were you shocked or? Yeah, I, I was shocked. And I will say that he was not like, I know the the, the stereotype, stereotypical, like sweep your, sweep you off your feet, like charming. Like he was not that. He was more, I don't know, nerdy or just like quiet. And so he, I had never like, I didn't think of him as being like someone I would ever need to worry about in terms of like he didn't flirt with other girls like he wasn't that kind of person so when I did realize that that's what he was doing it was yeah it was pretty shocking to me and I remember like hyperventilating calling my mom I'm like I don't know what to do like I, I here's the how like I, yeah it was it was really scary and then I couldn't like I couldn't eat for like days and days and I was pregnant and I was like I'm gonna hurt my baby because I can't eat wow. I can't sleep and I was like insomniac for days and I lost like so much weight but yeah that's that's how I found out and then I had to I called one of my best friends I need to confront him like I asked the counselor like yeah just confront him just be like see what he says mm -hmm. and he just was not remorseful like he was just like kind of like bummed he got caught basically did you ever have that feeling that he might be cheating before before you caught him basically in the years before that or no just with, in building up to it because i think sometimes women have that feeling that a spouse is cheating and then they gaslight themselves that mm. it's not possible yeah i think it all happens so quickly like but from the time that that he started acting weird within a few weeks and so that was like like i started having suspicion when he was acting and according to him i got caught on maybe a week or two after they started and how did you move from kind of the shock of discovering to feeling the strength to confront him i think i just I don't know. I think I was like, I I couldn't go to sleep and, and not have like bring it up. I guess I just was like, I'm going to do it now. I, I had a counselor that I had seen once and I just asked him like, should I wait to, to bring this up or should I bring it up? He's like, now. So I just brought it up. 
And I was hopeful. I was hoping that he would be remorseful and that like I was willing to, I remember telling him like, I'm willing to forgive you and I'm willing to work through this and like go to counseling. But he was not like, he didn't want that. Like he was kind of, I think so caught up in the addiction or the excitement or whatever it was that he was not, that was not something he wanted to do. So he kind of, I kind of dragged him to counseling a little bit and it was like not working at all. And so finally he's like, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And yeah, that was kind of, that was more of a blessing to have it be like, yeah, just like more finalized. Yeah. That kind of, that more clean break. What, were there things going on in your marriage? Like were, were you kind of in a difficult patch that you think made him more open to, you know, this woman or was it really just he had this addiction that was preyed on? Were there things going on in your marriage where you go, oh, I could see why he would be more vulnerable to this at this time? Or was it just totally out of the blue? I I think we were in, we had a one-year-old and a three-year-old and we were on a tight budget yeah. uh, and he was going back to school full-time. And so I think it was just stressful time in general in terms of like just, I think any young couple with like little kids knows just like you know, there's a lot of demands on you. And so I would say that was a little stressful. I think maybe we'd gotten in a little bit of like arguments recently within the last month. But at the same time, like we had just come back from our honeymoon or not honeymoon, mm-hmm. but our anniversary trip, oh. like in early July. And this, and we went to Colorado and we had like a great time. And then this all started unfolding in the end of July. So I was like, we were just on our anniversary trip. Like everything seemed fine then. And he wasn't sleeping with her at that point. Not that I know of. I mean, that's according to the timeline of the text messages and things that I saw. Yeah, because he, I was away visiting my parents for a week, and that's when he said he. And do you, when you look back on the trips when you're having a good time, do you feel like he wasn't really emotionally present or not as much? I think there was some underlying. I, I think a little bit. Yeah, I think there was. He wasn't quite like yeah, quite connected, and we did have some arguments about like how much money we should spend and i was like we need to save more money and he's like yeah so we had some arguments about that i think it's horrible um, i don't i don't i wouldn't say it was like out of the ordinary i think and out of i mean having been married now i've been married now almost six years i have a comparison like things like you know no marriage is like okay it's like perfect all the time you know okay. but overall i think there was a lot of stress that probably overlaid this woman you know, yeah. propositioning him or whatever. The reason I ask that is because I do, I have heard that before happening that, you know, someone basically after a big trip where people feel connected, celebrating a milestone, you know, they kind of drop the bum. I'm ready to be done, you know, marrow really. So I'm kind of, you know, trying to explore that a little bit more in my mind. But so what, you confront him, the marriage isn't good work, and it's kind of you against the world. You got three, three littles. Is that right? You had to have your ba- baby. Well, no, so I was eight weeks pregnant, and then I had one year old, three year old. Oh, when that that happened, yeah. Okay, so you're pregnant. You've got two little, and you're pretty much being excommunicated or you know pressured by your community that you're doing the wrong thing. How did you find the strength to completely carve out a new life, and how did you form a plan for that life? Um, that's a great question. So I I think. I touched on it a little when I was saying like that mama bear strength that just is like, I remember this internal like roar coming up. Like I, like you will do anything to protect your kids. And there's a supernatural like strength that comes up. And then again, I didn't know if he would be financially at all supporting me or involved with kids or if it was like completely on my own. So I just knew like, I need to, 
I need to do what it takes. So I just was like, well, I'm a nurse, but I can't make enough on a nurse salary to even pay for like the babysitting they would need to pay for. So I just was like, I can go to school and then I can take out loans while I'm in school to live on until I, my, because I didn't have any, like we took out some of our retirement just to, for all of our retirement to like get us through that year. But anyway, so yeah, I think it was just like, like drive to survive. And I, I've never known a strength like that. And now I look back, I'm like, I don't know how, like, how did I stay up till 11 studying and then wake up at five or two, three times a night with a baby? Like, I don't know how I did it, but I think there was a lot of grace from God. And there's a lot of like, just survival instincts that kept in. minor fight. How did you financially come back from that? Because it sounds like you guys had some pre-existing loans from your husband's education. And then you're having to take on this whole new set of loans just so you can provide for your children. And I think, you know, a lot of times women will stay longer than they would like to in healthy relationships because they feel like they can't afford to leave. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you were probably not in the ideal position to to have a divorce. So how did you financially recover? Yeah, that was actually one of the probably easier things. So we had a house together, a simple, but we had bought it in 2012, which was like the bottom of the market. And then it appreciated a lot over the next six years. So I, he let me keep the house in terms of, so he didn't pay any child support for two years. So I was like trying to go to school myself while, you know, I had to like, I didn't have any money. So he let me keep the house instead of child support. So I, when I was graduating, I was able to cash out, refinance some of the equity that had built up in the house to pay off my school loans and then kind of get me back to zero. So that was a huge blessing because the, of the way that the, we hit the market with that, there was a huge appreciation with just like basically not free money, but it, it was money that we were able to use to cover my school loans. And then I wouldn't have any debt after that. And then I was able to start working as a nurse practitioner. So I kind of was like, and my parents did pay a little bit towards my school. My parents, they didn't live nearby, but, and they were both working full-time. So it wasn't like they could be around a lot, but they did come whenever they could and come for weekends and things to help. But I don't have any sisters or aunts or anyone. Like I was just pretty much just me. But yeah, that was that was the one of the blessings that came out of it. It was the timing was right for them. Yeah. Well, I think your story is really cool because so many women think that God is against them if they get a divorce. But your story, I think there's so many ways in which God was clearly for you and moving forward with your life. And I'm not saying that God wants, you know, I don't, I don't know that God is ever rooting for a divorce, but I I also don't think he's just accepting it. I think he he recognizes when it's necessary yeah. and he's absolutely got your back. And I mm-hmm. think that's important to bring out because sometimes you do have to move forward, trusting that the miracles are going to follow, that God is going mm-hmm. to provide the miracles for you. I think sometimes the only thing that will get you out of something like that is just putting your trust in God and going one day at a time. Yeah. So I think your story illustrates that in such a cool way, because as soon as I heard that you did nurse, you did nurse practitioner program, mm-hmm. right? with the your children those ages on your own i mean i thought that's a that's a miracle that you made it through so that's really neat thank you and i I totally agree like i i think god's heart like what i have found through this is god's heart is so much bigger like like for his daughters his love for his daughters is so great and that he wants to protect them and if that means if the best thing like if it turns out the most wise thing obviously there's a lot of nuances to every relationship but that he is very much pro pro women pro daughters when it yeah. comes and then not to have to submit to some abusive situation narcissistic 
adultery, whatever it is, just for what, you know, I mean, to prove, I don't know what, I don't know. There's not, or yeah. there's also the trappings, the, the, the feelings of people being trapped, like you said, spiritually, financially, relationally, those kinds of things that make people feel trapped. And I think a lot of times too, that I don't think it's necessarily, necessarily better for the children. If they're witnessing a lot of abuse, they're, they're why they're just smart and they're going to see that. And it's not necessarily better for them to stay in that situation. Yes. If they're, yeah. So yeah, I, there's this guy like Mark Rose. I like some of the stuff he puts out and he says, yes, divorce hurts children, but what hurts children more is, you know, living in a household where they're, I don't even remember exactly how he puts it, but basically living in a household where there's toxic dynamics being modeled all of the time. Because mm-hmm. So you are married now. And, and so can you guys briefly give us your story on that? What were you planning on? I know you said you kind of went out and were dating again. Yeah. Were you looking to get remarried? How did you meet your current husband? And then what was that like dating again and trusting again? Were you approaching dating a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a this could be a whole nother podcast, but it was hard. Like, so I met my husband, his name's Grant. We met him Bumble. So he's in the military and he, he, what I was looking for, honestly, I was not looking, it was like super spiritual. I was like burned by that. I just want someone who has a really good heart. And that's like, honestly, like I just didn't care if, I mean, I want him to have a faith in God, but I didn't care if he was like, you know, super spiritual or whatever. And he, yeah, he is such a good heart. Like he demonstrated, I mean, he, first of all, dating a mom with three little kids like that's a special person during our marriage it wasn't that toxic once we were going through the divorce process that he became more and more toxic in terms of like gaslighting so he would say things like if you don't take me back no one's gonna want you no one's gonna want to date a single mom and that was in my head like like am i like i'm not wanted or unworthy or something but when i started dating again i was really surprised by how many people were like very open to dating me i guess in the sense of like they had been raised by single moms or they had a stepdad that they had a very close relationship with and they were just like, it didn't like phase them. So anyway, when I met Grant, it was, it was, he was so sweet and so warm and, and so open to the family situation, but it was really hard for me. Like I, I had a lot of trust issues. I felt like the way I describe it is that if you get food poisoning on something and then you have this aversion to like say all Indian food or something, if you get sick, right. there's and so that's how I felt like I felt like marriage to me was that aversion where I was like or getting close or trusting I had this huge like aversion to it because it was painful to to trust someone and then be completely completely discarded so it took me a long time not to have a visceral like we dated for two years and then it was kind of like okay we either need to get married or like you know break up because it was kind of like we're both about 30 at that time just take up his time or like keep dating him if I wasn't like ready to get married. And so he was 31. I think I was 30. And anyway, uh, it took me a long, I had a lot of like panic attacks really of just like thinking about marriage. And I had to like really just work through it and keep like, keep seeing him demonstrate his like commitment to me. And that was when he was so committed to me. Like he was like, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be, you know, like I couldn't like, if I was like, I'm not sure I'm ready. He's like, well, then I'll just be waiting for you when you're ready. Like it was just like, he was very like steady and loving, but it was hard. I had, I probably should have done more counseling in terms of just unpacking that. But when you have three kids and you're working full time and he was in the military, like it was just like, I didn't <laughs> do it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of worked out that it just got healed those wounds a lot and helped me just find peace in someone who was so steady and loving. It's interesting to me that your ex-husband became more toxic 
as he was kind of losing you, so to speak, because yeah. I think a lot of times those gaslighting behavior, well, actually all the time, the gaslighting behaviors are about control. And maybe they didn't pop up before because maybe he just didn't need to control you before. He was managing his need for control with pornography or, you know, in other areas. And, you know, maybe that was, maybe the, that was there all along. It just mm-hmm. never manifested because he never had the need to control before. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing I think you said was how you felt discarded. I think that's really interesting because, you know, when I hear your story, I feel like you made a lot of strong and brave choice to disconnect from the marriage. But I, I immediately tuned in on that because that was something that I write about in my book. There was choice in my moving on. There was choice in coming out of a toxic relationship. And at the same time, those behave, you still oftentimes feel so rejectable after. Mm-hmm. And I think that just is a product of when you become intimate with somebody and it ends with them not doing the work that it takes to move forward with you that's so re- that can really process as rejection um but i mean stories like these are all about reframing and mm-hmm. you know you're reframing that we have strength and choice and you know that i at least you know in my experience i don't think this came through as much in your story but mm-hmm. uh, i chose myself i chose having my own identity over not being rejected by somebody that I loved so and what I mean is I think you chose yourself and your children too I think it sounds like your identity wasn't lost as much in the relationship as I sometimes focused on in my story and other stories but yeah I think yeah I think that's interesting and I love that I love the reframing of everything too that you're the our mindsets are so powerful and I I really feel like you can just turn a situation and see the good in it in any way like but yeah, I think mine has both where I think I was initially felt like rejected and then I was able to make the choice to not take him back when he was like coming back multiple times. And some people were like judging me for that in terms of like, oh, yeah, you should forgive him or whatever. But yeah, I think there's both. And I think it, having being able to create your own life is, is I think something that all women should know that they can do and that it's just a matter of charting out and now I mean honestly now there's so many different ways to make money or in terms of supporting yourself like it there's it's never been easier in some ways yeah. to be able to carve out your own independence in that way so yeah well thank you very much for sharing your story I love this conversation um any final thoughts for women who will be listening or who kind of are in a similar situation as you were and then also if people want to follow you in your work yeah that. so my Instagram is the acne and peace. So my kind of health niche is holistic acne healing. Super interesting. So, I follow. I love it. <laughs> so I know that's quite different. I have this two different sets of people who follow me. Some people because of my single mom story. And I had a reel that went viral. I had like 2.5 million views. So I have all these people following me because of that story. And then I also have people who follow me because of the health and skin stuff. So get a little bit of both on there. And then as far, I have a lot of women who reach out to me, just I, it's so, it's so because that one reel went viral. I had like, I think like hundreds of people just saying that they're, they're pregnant and their husband's cheating or this and that. And it's just, every situation is so delicate and nuanced. And I just want women to know that they do have the ability to, to get through it and get to their side. And that there is 
like this, my mom gave me this poster right when I was in the middle of everything and said, the best is yet to come. Uh-huh. And honestly, it's so cliche, but it was like, I honestly held on to it. And days when I felt like it was so dark, I was like, I'm determined to have the best to be ahead of me and not just be like a, a victim. Like I did not want to be a victim of my circumstances or of my ex-husband's choices. Like I was determined to to be like in, in that. And a lot of that is the choices that that you make now it's not easy it was not it's not easy or didn't come without a lot of hard work and determination and started as like how do I make this reality but there is there is a light on the other side and it won't always seem so dark and if you know the kids aren't always going to be so little and, and that evolves too and so things become lighter in that sense but yeah well, thank you very much. This is a great conversation. And I'm super excited. I'll drop all your information too, all your links and things. But I'm really excited for women to hear your story and to keep going yeah. from it. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women Who Roar podcast. Guess what? It's update time. Since the recording of this podcast, Kristen announced she and her husband Grant are expecting a baby girl due in October. This is such a beautiful full circle moment, and I hope it gives anyone still in the midst of the healing process hope that things do get better. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to references mentioned in this episode, rate and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode, and share so we can help protect women from toxic relationships. Until next week.